0: I hope you all have your Bibles with you. Uh, We are going to be going through the Word of God. We're going to study together. And I believe we're living in a time where we need to do a lot more studying than simple, mere preaching. And you will find that God has many things to say to us from his Word, but how can we benefit from it if we don't have it? And therefore, I'm hoping that you all have a Bible. And if you don't, maybe you want to raise your hand. Perhaps an usher uh, can look around, and if they see that you don't have a Bible, we'll put one in your hand. Is there anyone that doesn't have a Bible that needs one? So that way we can make sure everyone is following. Is there anyone? All right. Okay, I see one little friend's hand over there. So, uh, unless maybe she wasn't raising her hand. All right. Yep, I think we're okay. All right. We just looked at the book of John, the 17th chapter. That was our scripture reading. And we saw the focus of the mind of Jesus. In fact, I want to magnify it. We saw in John 17 and verse 4, that was our scripture reading, that Jesus made it very clear, I have glorified thee on the earth and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It is imperative that all of us as Christians are able to say before we depart from this earth, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And those words that Jesus said was not limited to Jesus. And the reason I know that is because go with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you go to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, you will see that the words of Christ were not limited to Christ. This is the words of what all of God's people should be able to say at some point before our probation closes. And so the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to what chapter? We're going to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4... I want you to notice what the Bible says. As the apostle Paul, he's getting ready to go to his death. He is getting ready to die. Nero has commanded Paul's beheading. And Paul is not afraid to die because he knew that he was dead long before Nero's blade ever touched his neck. Paul surrendered his life to Jesus. There's one evangelist that said nobody could kill Paul because Paul was already dead. And you and I need to understand that principle. And so Paul is not afraid to die at this point, but Paul does have some words to say. And thank God it was contained in scripture for your encouragement as well as for mine. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and if you're there, please say amen. Amen. The Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come. And I believe that time is here. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap of themselves teachers, having itching ears. Their ears from the truth and sh- fables, but watch thou in all your afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I, now Paul is transitioning. You see, he just told them, stand firm. Stand faithful, even in the midst of affliction. He says, make full proof of your ministry. He's giving his departing words to those who shall remain behind. Why is Paul saying this? Now he tells us. In the next verse, it says, in verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered. He's ready to die. He says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And I appreciate the words in verse 7. The apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight. And then what does he say he did? I have what? Finished the course that you gave to me. You see, God gives each and every one of us a work. He gives each and every one of us a course. It was not just Jesus who had a work. And he had to finish it. It was not just Paul who had a work and he needed to finish it. Every single one of us in this room has a work and God expects you to finish it. The world loves to start stuff they can't finish. And that is very much a worldly principle. And Jesus shows the foolishness of it in Luke, the 14th chapter. Go to Luke 14 and watch what Jesus says. I want you to think about it. It is the world, the worldling, and those who are unbalanced that unfortunately start but don't finish. And notice how Jesus uses this term in Luke, the 14th chapter. In Luke, the 14th chapter, notice what the Bible says. Luke, and we're going to chapter 14 now, and I want you to see what the Bible says as we look at Luke 14, and when you get there, please say amen. Amen. We're going to start at verse 28 and watch the logic in Jesus' mind. The Bible says in Luke 14, Jesus is talking about being a faithful disciple. That's what every single one of you are. Every single individual who got baptized last week, you were not baptized to become members. You were baptized to become disciples. Jesus, you don't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, go ye therefore and make members. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. You see, go ye therefore and make disciples. That's what the Bible says in Matthew 28. That's what it says in Mark 16. Go make disciples. It is possible to have a membership somewhere and never participate in anything that that organization does. And that's why God does not want you to have a membership mentality. Because some people are just happy being members of the church. While they don't show up, they don't participate. They do not reflect the things that should be reflected in the lives of those who are part of God's remnant church. God says, don't get stuck on being a member. God says, I called you to be my disciples. And disciples are people who work. Disciples are people who do not sit down and observe. They are people who get their hands dirty and they get involved in the work. And so it is that the Bible says in Luke 14, Jesus is talking about the qualification of disciples. And he says in Luke 14, verse 28, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to do what? To finish it. He says, less happily, after he have laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, All that behold, begin to do what? You see, when a man cannot finish his work, there's somebody that's going to sit back and mock it. You understand that? God has given every single one of us a work to do, and God wants us to understand our work very clearly, because when we do not fulfill the work that God woke you up this morning to accomplish, my brothers and sisters, Satan, if not anybody else, will sit back and mock God in his face. And say, look at this, you wasted all that breath of life upon these souls and they are not even living, not even half to the potential of why you raised them up this morning. And Satan loves to mock Jesus. He loves to go in his face and say, look at your people, look at what they're doing. This is what you died for. But my brothers and sisters, God wants us to understand that we all have been called to do a great work. We have individual works. You understand that? We all have individual works. There's individual things that we have been called to do that another person may not be called to do. I've been called to be an evangelist. That is my calling. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. There are some people that's going to be called to be teachers. There's some people that's going to be called to be pastors. There's some that's going to be called to be missionaries. There's different callings upon each other. But there's always one resounding point that all of us fit in. All of us have been called in some shape, form, or size. God has called you to do a work. And so I believe rather than trying to identify the specific work, That God has called you to do. Now, I can help you with that. After the meeting, you come see me and I will give you some pointers on how you can discover the specific work that God has called you to do that nobody else he's perhaps called to do. I'll I'll show you some points on that. But right now, I want to give us a foundational work. Something that whatever work God has called us to do individually, it must always circle back to this work. Go to the book of Revelation chapter 10. It is in Revelation, the 10th chapter that the Bible lets us know the great work that God wants to see finished amongst his people. And all of us fit under this work, regardless of the specific place that God has assigned you. At the end of the day, all of us, wherever our assignment is, must fit this work. And it's found in Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation, the 10th chapter, I am assuming, or at least hoping, That at some point in your uh, three weeks of evangelism, or at least under the leadership of of Pastor Akeem or otherwise, that you have studied the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 10. It is a very foundational book, not just to Bible prophecy, but specifically this movement, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Revelation 10 is replete with showing the movement of Seventh-day Adventists. in case you did not know that. But the Bible says in Revelation, the 10th chapter, it says something very special. It's found in verse 6 when the angel came down with one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea and lifted up his hand and swear by him that lived forever and ever, when the angel did that, the angel made a powerful point that you and I would do well to consider. So the Bible says in Revelation 10, we're looking at verse 6. If you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Revelation 10 and verse 6, it says, and swear by him, this is the angel, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be what no longer? There should be time no longer. Now, here's your pop quiz, students of prophecy. What does this period represent? When an angel now says, time is no longer, there's no more prophetic time. What time period does this mark? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? Not even one. Question. What is the longest prophetic time prophecy in the Bible? 2,300-year 2300 2300 prophecy found in Daniel 8.14. Amen? Yes. All right. Now, when that prophecy was fulfilled, when was that prophecy fulfilled? When did it reach its climax? At what year? 1844. Very good. Now, was there any other time prophecy in Scripture after 1844? No. So when the angel is saying time is now no longer, what time period do you think that is? That obviously has to be right at 1844. There's no more time prophecy. The last time prophecy has been fulfilled. And that's why since 1844, there has never been, or at least should not have been. And if anybody comes to you with it, they have not been sent by God. There should be no more time prophecies. There are no more prophecies based on time. If somebody tells you Jesus, the close of probation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if they try to tell you that it's going to happen by 2024, 2025, if they try to tell you 2018 or 2028, when people start giving timelines of when God has to, sooner or later, pour out his spirit, probation closes, or anything like that, we can know that message is not from God. There is no more time prophecy after 1844. So therefore, when this angel is now saying, time is no longer, this is right at the time of 1844. Question, where was Jesus in 1844? Where did he move to? He, he already went to the sanctuary way back in AD 31. But he went to the what specific place? The most holy place. Amen. Now, when Jesus went to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, keep in mind, we're looking at verse 6. Time is no longer. We have reached a time where Christ has moved from the holy to the most holy place. Now, watch this. What then was God's expectation from his people since october 22 1844 verse 7 notice what the bible says the bible says in revelation 10 and verse 7 but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound it says something is going to be finished what was it it says the mystery of god should be finished are you following So since Jesus moved into the most holy place to do the work of judgment, the focus on the mind of Christ, which should be the focus of God's people, is that Jesus wanted to see something finished. And what was it called? The mystery of God. You get it? The mystery of God. And it's amazing because we're in 2016 and the mystery still hasn't been finished. It still hasn't been finished. God's been waiting a long time to see the mystery finished. And my brothers and sisters, I can assure you the delay is not God's fault. I can guarantee you that. God always, when he has a work, God believes in finishing the work quickly. And so it is that whatever constitutes this mystery is what heaven has been focused on for all these years. If we are God's people and if Jesus is the head of the church, the head of the body, then it should be our focus to say, Lord, whatever you want finished, everything that we do in life should be about finishing that thing. And what is the thing that God wants finished? The mystery of God. So we need to find out what the mystery of God is. Go to Colossians chapter 1. When you go to Colossians, the first chapter, you find out what the mystery of God is. Now watch this. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians, the first chapter, we discover... There are other verses, of course, that show it. I'm just doing this for time's sake. In Colossians chapter 1, we discover the mystery of God that he wants to see finished. Colossians 1. When you get there, please say amen. Amen. All right. In Colossians, the first chapter, notice what the Bible says as we start at verse 23. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and verse 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I pray that that's your experience. Continue in the faith grounded and settled be not moved now notice it goes on to say if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof i paul am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the what? Aha, even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? What? christ in you the hope of glory since 1844 the great focus of god in the judgment is that he wants to see not a partial but a perfect reflection of christ in you the hope of glory this is the great work that god wants to see finished now, there are specific works that God has called each of you to, but this is the foundational work that must be reflected in your specific work. If you are a businessman, you are to be a reflection of Christ perfectly in your business. If you are a schoolteacher, you are to reflect the image of Christ perfectly as a schoolteacher. Whatever it is that God has specifically called you in your life, you and I need to understand that when everybody says it's okay to steal pencils, Jesus does not steal. You probably didn't catch that. There are amazing ways of how at work and at business, we can easily take a statement like thou shalt not steal and we can start stealing. We'll start taking a bunch of stuff from the company and using it for our own individual personal purposes. And my brothers and sisters, that's not why your company invested in those things. You understand that? Jesus, if he worked at your job, he would never take anything that he did not pay for or that does not belong to him to be used for his personal use. We're talking about the character of Christ perfectly being reflected in any specific area that God has called you to. Are you following so far? All right, because we're not even in the... This is appetizer. This is, this is just setting it up to get deeper. All right? So God wants us to understand there is a great work to be finished, and it is a shameful thing when God gives us a work and we do not finish it because somebody's gonna mock. My brothers and sisters, the great work that God says all of you must take in your specific lines of work is God says, I want the mystery to be finished in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you when you're driving on the highway. Christ in you when you're dealing with arrogant, obnoxious, and rude people. Christ in you when there are times you're going to have to stand and be bold when everything in you wants to be a coward and walk away. You got to understand, Jesus was not, listen, Jesus was merciful, but he was not a doormat. Sometimes people need to be reminded of that. Sometimes people think that Jesus was this man that just threw flowers on everybody after they slapped him in his face. My brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know, listen, Jesus is merciful. God is merciful. But let us never forget that even God says a point in time will come where mercy runs out and judgment will begin. God says, I will not hold guiltless those who continue in sin and a time will come. Where God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers. It's his last effort, but he does get there sooner or later. My brothers and sisters, don't take advantage of the love of God. Don't play with him. God is not to be mocked and he's not to be played with. He's merciful, but do not mistake. I often, I often heard this in the business world, but it is very true in Christianity. There is a statement that says, do not mistake my kindness, does anybody know how to finish it? For weakness. for weakness. You remember that? Do not mistake my kindness for weakness. God is gracious, my brothers and sisters. He's merciful and he loves, he's actually in goodness and truth and he loves to be kind, but never mistake God's kindness for weakness. God knows a time can come For any one of us in this room, from the preacher all the way to the pew, where if we continue to indulge in what we want, God says, I will have to visit the iniquity of the fathers and I will not hold them guiltless. And I pray that that would never fall on a man, woman, or child. And this is why parents, let me give this to you very quickly. Parents, please take your leadership with your children a lot more seriously A lot of times we think that sometimes with children, we just kind of let them do what they want in church, in our homes, in school, in the store, and we let them go ahead in their different areas of disobedience, and sometimes we have the nerve to call it cute. And we don't understand that when the day of judgment comes, when God has to execute judgment and visit iniquity, some people think that for some reason God will bypass children. That God is just going to look at the children and say, oh, well, you're okay. Let me just go get your parents or somebody else. But that's not what the Bible says. Go to Ezekiel 9. If you look at Ezekiel, the ninth chapter, look at what the Bible says. It's always important to believe the Bible. Follow the Bible. Stick with the Bible. Never follow your own thoughts or opinions. You can't trust it. Our hearts are deceitful. Stick with the Bible. The Bible says in Ezekiel 9, notice what the Bible says. Don't ever forget this, saints. Because sometimes we think, surely God would not do that to children. No, my brothers and sisters. God is very serious. So notice what it says in Ezekiel 9. In in Ezekiel, the ninth chapter, when you get there, please say amen. amen. Watch the text now, Ezekiel 9. The Bible says in Ezekiel 9, starting at verse 1, it says, He cried also in mine ears. In other words, there was some abominations that was happening amongst the people of God in Ezekiel 8. So now Ezekiel 9 is continuing The story from Ezekiel 8, and now it's that time where God is going to go ahead and execute judgment. So look at what it says. It says, he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a what kind of weapon? It says, a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the Lord God of Israel was come upon from the cherub. Now watch this. Whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And watch what he says in verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst of thereof. Verse five. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Now that's a scary word. When you see the word smite, it's talking about striking. It's talking about executing judgment. So now it says in verse five, and to the others, he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite, let not your eye spare, neither have ye what? Pity. Pity. Now watch verse six. Who is it that is talking about? Let not your eye spare, neither have pity. Verse six, it says, slay utterly what? Old. Old and young, both maids and little children. Are you following saints? And little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. My brothers and sisters, listen to me. When I understand these words of God, and my wife and I, we have four children, we have four teenagers in our home 17, no, 18, and then 17, 16, and 15. And when we have these amount of teenagers in our home, some people say, oh, Lord, have mercy. Boy, I, I feel bad for you. And I have to say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. These, these are different teenagers. Praise God. They're not perfect. No, no, no. I won't, I won't say that. They are not perfect, but I know they are not typical teenagers. They are not. My children bring my bride and I joy when we come home. You understand that? But that's because we had to understand that, listen, children need a specific training. They need to be taught the ways of the Lord. They need to understand the ways of God. They need to understand that God wants to finish his mystery in them too. And so, what that means is that we cannot give even our children common education, we cannot give them status quo Adventism. Everything has to be tested, everything has to be weighed. Because Jesus is serious, he says, I want my work to be finished. Jesus means it, brothers and sisters. All of heaven is waiting on humanity to reflect the lovely image of Jesus as we should. And so you know what God did? God gave us a message. God gave us a message that can produce this kind of fruit, a mystery finished kind of fruit. God gave a message to the church to give To the world that if we understand it and experience it, it will bring about the mystery of God being finished. You know what that message is? The first, the second, and the third angel's message. God gave it to us. If these messages are understood, more importantly, if these messages are received within our hearts, my brothers and sisters, it will bring about the kind of fruit that even heaven approves. And this is why that is always to be our focus in everything that we do from our preaching to our teaching, to our storytelling, to our advocacy, whatever area of life, everything must be about the principles contained in the first, the second, and the third angel's message. Because that's our focus. We're getting ready to get off this planet, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you understand. This world is wicked. And it's getting more and more wicked. I marvel. My wife and I, sometimes we talk and we actually say, can you imagine? You know, there was a time. I'm only 44 years old, brothers and sisters. I consider myself young. And I'm telling you, there was a time that the government votes that I'm seeing today, I didn't think I was going to see it in my lifetime. When Jesus would say, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And I'm thinking to myself, how are they going to pull that one off? Do we have to ask anymore? That blessed symbol of that rainbow, which meant so much to God, has now been perverted to the worst and lowest degree. My brothers and sisters, we are living in a very, very sinful world. We're living in a very sinful country. We're living in a very sinful time in Earth's history, and God wants to produce something completely opposite of what we see taking charge all over our planet. And God knew, I have to give them a message. And what God gave is he gave the first, the second, and the third angel's message. You and I should be masters of understanding that. Our children should be masters at understanding the first, second, and third angel. When you read that little book, that blessed little book, Great Controversy, page 366, and God said, the child preachers. I thought to myself, child preachers? This is in the days of the 1800s. Adults were being persecuted for standing for the truth. And here it is. She talks about these child preachers. And I'm thinking, child preachers? Who who are these child preachers? So she goes on and she describes them. Little children that love to play on swings and play in sand and be little boys and little girls. But then she makes a statement in Great Controversy, page 366, she makes a statement. She says, but when the spirit of God would fall on these little children, she says their tone of voice and their mannerisms changed. Changed. She said they would go before adults and youth and they would stand before them. And she says, repeat the words of John the Revelator and say, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And I said, Lord, these are some impressive children, but then it got deeper. The next sentence says, these children were as young as six and eight years old. Can you imagine six and eight year olds that are acquainted with the first, second and third angels message? They know how to preach it, they know how to teach it, and they know how to live it. This is my job as a parent. This is your job as parents. We have to make sure that our precious youth do not just have it in memory, but it's being demonstrated in their day-to-day living. And this, parents, is our life work. And so when I looked at those messages, I was looking for the experience now, for time's sake, I would encourage you, please go through First Angel. Um, I often like to give this. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a little homework because I don't know the next time I'll, I'll be back here. So I'm going I'm to give you this homework because I think it would prove a tremendous blessing to you. I want you to remember this. This is going to be a homework assignment. This is where you, if you got iPads and little camera phones, you take it out. I'm going to show you something here. Uh, theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible. Yes, that's it. Okay, so I want you to watch this. When we get to uh, this phase of the study, oh, how should we give Bible studies? That's it. Ah, here it is. Okay. When you look at the first, second, and third angel, right? Here are the things you need to understand. In other words, if, if, you, know, if you were my class, you know, we have missionaries in New Hampshire. If you, if you were my class, I would make sure that every missionary has to answer these questions. When you look at the first angel, there's going to be some things you'll need to define. Number one. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to give glory to him? What constitutes the hour of his judgment and what constitutes true worship? These are the key components in the first angel's message. These are all the key components. When you read Revelation 14 and verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Those are your four key components. You need to understand all four. You need to explain it all with Bible, no Ellen White. You need to know Bible. Why? Because the people outside of our church don't understand Ellen White, do they? So you need to know how to explain it. Bible. Second angel. With the second angel's message, who is Babylon? Then, what does it mean to be fallen, fallen? Third, what does wine represent? Four, what is the wrath of her fornication? What is that? I don't even know what that is. It's called definition of terms. When you go through the verses, you need to understand each term. What does this term mean? How does it apply, etc. Next third angel, with the third angel, who is the beast? What is the image of the beast? What is the mark of the beast? What does forehead and hand represent? What constitutes patience? What does saint mean? What are the commandments of God? What is the faith of Jesus? You have to understand all of this. Don't take it for granted that you know it. Because I can go into any SDA church and say, all right, let's repeat the three angels. And everybody says, fear God, give glory to him. And we're happy because we know how to repeat the message. The question is that Solomon would ask is, do you understand the message? You remember Proverbs 4 and verse 7? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. The question is not, did you get it? The question is, do you understand what you got? That makes a big difference with God what are the two key things that you need to focus on number one what is the historical context of these messages you have to understand history you're gonna to have to do the thing that most people hate you have to study history you are going to have to pick up encyclopedia britannica you're gonna to have to pick up history books the history of the roman empire you're gonna to have to pick up all these books now and you have to study so you can know the message that you profess to believe but then after that that's not enough not after this what is the historical context In my mind, this is the most crucial part of the study. It's right here. Next. Forgive me. There we go. Right here. What is the practical context of the messages? That's it. If you can intelligently answer all of that, my brothers and sisters, you will cause the host of hell to tremble. Satan might literally start putting plans together to try to kill you. And I am serious because this is what the devil does not want. If we understand these messages, understand it's historical, but also it's practical, meaning I'm not just going to talk about the third angel. I'm going to walk in the experience of the third angel's message. You become a force to be reckoned with. This is what you must teach your children. This is where we educate them because they're going to be God's shining stars in these last moments in earth's history. You understand that? So this is our calling. This is our work. And it is a most serious and solemn work, my brothers and sisters. All right? Now, this is bonus. This wasn't even in the plan. But nevertheless, I hope you got your pictures. You take that in. Make this your homework. Study as a family, as brethren. And you come together and say, hey, we're going to go over this. We got to define everything. Everywhere I go, I always leave. When I do trainings, we always leave this with the saints. Start going through it point by point by point. You got to know what you believe. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, I'm going to go back to the slides. So now... Going back, so when I think about this, now let's talk about that third angel. Let's talk about that third angel. Bringing out some points here. Let's talk about the third angel. When you look at the third angel's message, most people think of the mark of the beast. Is that right? When we obviously went through our revelation series here and our, our, our prophecy evangelism series with Brother Daniel, I would imagine that he faithfully explained the realities of the crisis that's coming upon our world. Is that right? We know that there's a crisis coming. All the conglomerates are coming together from the church and the state to try to reunite, to become a persecuting power to the people of God. We are going to see a Sunday law passed in not just our country, but in our world. And there are many efforts on every area, whether it be with the papacy, whether we see the movements in the United States. My brother, if you carefully look at Sanders, Clinton, and even Trump, if you just look at the statements that they make, the things that they're emphasizing and watching how the people respond to it, it is getting so incredibly easy to see how we can vote in a Sunday law. It's just getting so easy to see. People are so terrified of terrorism that they are willing to violate people's rights just for safety. To tell somebody, because you're Muslim, you are not going to be allowed in our country for a period of time. My brothers and sisters, that is a violation of what America stands for. But why are people doing it? Because they're saying we got to do something. We're in a crisis. Do you see how easy it is to violate constitutional rights for the sake of safety? What if we get another 9-11? The things that we have right now as our rights can disappear like smoke in the air. And so this is a very serious, solemn time of what we're seeing right now in our history. And so when we look at that, I know that when we look at Revelation 14, let's turn there, this is where sometimes a lot of our focus is unduly given. Now, let's notice that. I like using very specific words, unduly given. So let's look at Revelation 14, right? When you're in Revelation 14, watch what it says in verse 9, because what Jesus is doing, he is busy developing a people to finish his work. What is the work to be finished? The mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Christ in us, the hope of glory. So this is the great work that Jesus is focused on. Now we need to be in harmony with Jesus in this focus. But the problem is the world is trying to produce a whole different image, a whole different image in humanity. So the message is necessary because the message keeps the people focused. You get that? So now we're looking at the message. So in Revelation 14, look at verse nine. When you look at Revelation 14 and verse 9, look at the message. This is the last component of the entire gospel, the everlasting gospel. So it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, if you look at that, that is all warning. Is that right? When's the last time a warning saved anybody? A warning in and of itself does not save people. If I warn you, a fire is coming. But if I don't tell you, here's the place of safety from the fire. It is useless warning you. Because all I'm going to do is get you agitated. You understand that? If I say lava's coming. You're going to wonder, brother, it can come from any angle. Which angle is it coming from? So that way you can know the best way to make your escape. So it's always imperative that when you give a warning, there has to be a place of escape. There has to be a city of refuge. You understand that? This is why the third angel's message does not stop at verse 11. The warning is imperative, but verse 12 is that much more. So in verse 12, what does it say? Verse 12 says... Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So this is what we call the experience of the third angel. So verses 9 to 11 is the warning. Verse 12 is the experience. And we need both. We have to give the warning. But how much the more important we must show people the experience. Because the experience is your only safety from the warning. We have history of men who gave warnings and died in the midst of the warning. Josephus records a man, you read it in Great Controversy, page 30, where the man is going around telling Israel, hey, the words of Jesus is true in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. So the man goes around, warning, warning, woe to Israel, woe to Jerusalem. He's literally warning them saying, Jerusalem, what Jesus said is now coming to pass. We're surrounded. But the problem is the people rejected the man. They started throwing darts at him to quiet him down. But eventually that man gets put in prison and he dies under the siege he warned everybody about. The prophet of God says not one Christian died in the siege. But he died in the siege. But not one Christian died in the siege. So was he a Christian? But did he give a warning? So is it possible to give a warning and still not be converted? Yes. You get that? It's not enough to give a warning, my brothers and sisters. It's not enough to just intellectually know the message and say, warning world, warning Hawaii. It's not enough. Because it's possible to give a warning and not have the right experience that can protect you from what you're warning everybody about. You understand that? So what God wants is he wants us to give the warning. Amen. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but how much more important. God says, I want you to have the experience. What I thought was interesting about this quote is that if you look at it carefully, it's, it, you see one, two, three. We see three things. I obviously highlighted it. So the threefold experience that God wants you and I to have is patience. patience. What else? Keep the commandments of God. And what else? Faith of Jesus. Faith of Jesus. This is, these are the three things that we need. Is that right? Now watch this. If we have this experience, we are Fully, completely, and absolutely protected from the mark of the beast. That's incredible news. If we have this experience, we are fully, completely, and absolutely protected from the mark of the beast. No matter how strong the devil comes, you will not lose. You will win. But you got to have the experience. Are you following? Now, one thing I've learned about God, especially when you study the Bible, is Things in the Bible are not always in chronological order. If you study scripture, you'll you'll see that. Even go back to Genesis 1, God completes creation in Genesis 1, but in Genesis 2, it starts going into, and God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Well, he already did that in Genesis 1. You understand that? So sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to understand things are not always revealed in chronological order. Just because Genesis 2 tells us how God formed man out of the dust, he already did that in Genesis 1. What God is doing is something called repeat and expand. You understand that? Okay, so there are times that things may not always go in chronological order, but nevertheless, God is teaching us. Now, why is that important? Do you know that it's actually backwards how we experience this? The first thing you need is the faith of Jesus. And then if you have the faith of Jesus, then you can keep God's commandments. And if you have the faith of Jesus, then you can keep God's commandments and you will endure. That's what the word patience means, endurance you will endure all the way to the end. So some people will try to get patience first and then try to keep God's commandments, and many of us don't even know what the faith of Jesus is. <laughs> I am, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience. For the longest while, what was my focus as a good old seven-day Adventist? Keep the commandments. So I was telling everybody, keep the commandments, especially the Sabbath, Oh, you non-Sabbath keepers, shame on you. And I'm ready to blast everybody because they're violating God's commandments. And I knew nothing about the faith of Jesus. And I knew that I was far more impatient than patient. Isn't that amazing? We neglect two and try to focus on the one. And then none of us even keep the one we focus on right. How many times you try to keep the commandments and failed miserably? You understand that? So what God is a God of order. That's, 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 that's what I read in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 and then verse 40. God is a God of order, and he is not the author of confusion. God says, my people, I want you to understand that you first need the faith of Jesus. That's where Christianity begins. And as we understand the faith of Jesus, we are empowered to keep God's commandments. And we are able to endure regardless of the trials. So obviously my first study was the faith of Jesus. Now I'm just going to give it to you in snapshot. You, you, you can do a whole week just on the faith of Jesus. It's a beautiful study. But I'm going to give you a snapshot. What is the faith of Jesus? If we ask ourselves the question, what is the faith of Jesus? Let's consider it. You ready? Let's, let's look at Jesus. How about that? That's where it starts, isn't it? You got to look at him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So never take your eyes off of Jesus. Amen? Never think that prophecy becomes so important that we take our eyes off of Jesus. You're always supposed to see Jesus in prophecy. You understand that? Okay, now watch. So when we look at Jesus, the faith of Jesus, number one. So I look at the Bible and I watch Jesus. So the Bible says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus came to this world to be God and man's servant and made himself of no reputation. Jesus was subservient to his father. Now watch this continuing John five and verse 30. Jesus now makes a declaration of his very ministry, how he lived his life. The Bible says I can of my own self do how many things? I can of my own self do nothing. He says, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father that has sent me. So his whole life is completely subservient to the father. Whatever the father wants is what I'm going to do. Are you following? Continuing. Watch. The Bible says in Luke 2:49, I must be about my father's business. None of self, all of the father. Now watch this. John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I want you to know this is the mind of Christ as he walked on this earth in his servanthood. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he have such an incredible surrender to the father? What was it about life that he was so subservient to the will of the father that he says, I do nothing of my own self. In other words, Jesus is demonstrating an implicable trust in the father at every phase of his life. Why does Jesus do this? Because he says, are you kidding me? Jesus says, the father loves the son. The father loves the son and hath given all things into his hands. You see, Jesus knew how to rest in his father's love. Jesus knew my life is totally surrendered to him, and I rest in his love. I have complete, absolute, unadulterated confidence that my father will always do best by me. You know why that's deep? Because we read in the book of Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says in Philippians 3 verse 3, it says we are to have no confidence in the flesh. Do you know that that's our struggle right now? We listen to ourselves more than we listen to God. We do what we want to do more than we listen to God and do what he wants us to do. That's why we're still stuck on this planet. We got to get to a place that our lives reflect this. I can of my own self do nothing. Now, could Jesus do anything? Could he do anything? No, no, listen. Could Jesus do anything? Jesus was God, my brothers and sisters. Jesus could do what he wanted. What he did was he voluntarily, you see, yeah, I want you to understand that. There's a difference between voluntarily going into something and being yoked and enslaved into something. You understand that? Jesus was not yoked and enslaved to take upon himself flesh. Jesus said, I love these people too much to let them die. I will take on their nature, fallen And I will literally suffer their penalty. I will take their sinfulness and I will give them my righteousness. He did all that voluntarily. What made him do it? Love. Love. Now watch this. So when you look at this, this is the life that Jesus wants us to live. This is a snapshot of the faith of Jesus that we must meditate on. Because I would submit unto you that the greatest problem that we have is fully and completely trusting God. I would like to submit unto you that as often as we come to church, as often as as we have morning and evening worship, as often as we participate in various aspects of the church, as often as we preach and teach, There are many of us, if not all of us in this room, we still don't trust God fully. We don't trust him. There's some areas in life where we're just saying, Lord, I know you care, but. Lord, I know you're directing, but. And we don't have this attitude. I want you to watch this because Jesus is unwavering. It's very different from our experience, brothers and sisters. He's unwavering. There's no phase in his life that he was saying, Father, what do you want? The father would say, this is what I want. Jesus says, it is done. There's very few people on this planet that live like that. And that's why I'm learning as it was in the days of Noah. This is why there's going to be such a small amount of people saved. Because we must get to the place where we have no confidence In the flesh. Now, Ellen White magnifies this and look at her words. She says, the faith of Jesus, it is talked of but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer that he might become our sin pardoning savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. Now, watch this. And faith, oh, watch this closing point. And faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Now, my brothers and sisters. You know why this quote is deep? Go to Luke sixteen ten. 10. Oh, this quote is deep. Go to Luke sixteen ten. Watch the verse. When you look at Luke, the 16th chapter and the 10th verse now, notice what the Bible says, Luke 16. We're considering verse 10, and I want you to watch it, and I want you to commit this to memory. In Luke 16 and verse 10, the Bible says, he that is what? Faithful in that which is what least is faithful also in much, but he who is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now, my brothers and sisters, here's the point. If you and I cannot trust God amply, fully, and entirely when it comes to where he wants you to live, what he wants you to eat how he wants you to dress, what he wants you to put on your face versus what he doesn't want you to put on your face, how he wants you to choose your husband and your wife, how he wants you to respond to crisis. If we can't learn to trust God and his counsels amply, fully, and entirely in the lesser trials of life, what in the world makes you think? You're going to stand up against the beast power in the greater trials of life. The test is not when the Sunday law comes to you, my brothers and sisters, simply you're being tested right now. What is the area in your life where you do not trust God amply, fully and entirely? Because whatever that area is in your personal life, that thing has to be overcome before the Sunday law crisis. That thing has to be overcome. Are you following? Because there's some areas in our lives right now on much smaller issues. Listen, when the Sunday law comes, brothers and sisters, some of us are not going to eat for a while. When the Sunday law comes, parents, some of our children are going to be taken away from us. When the Sunday law crisis comes to us, some of us are going to be threatened with homelessness. When the Sunday law crisis comes to us, some of us are gonna die. And, brothers and sisters, if we don't learn to trust God amply, fully, and entirely, when you got a problem at your job, when you're trying to buy something that's precious to you, and you're thinking to yourself, Lord, if I lose this thing, I don't know if I'm gonna follow you anymore. I think I'm gonna question your existence. If we're already talking like that on much smaller issues, my brothers and sisters, we're not ready for the final crisis. This is what the third angel's message was supposed to teach us. Trust me. God was saying, do you trust me? It's not about Lord, but I sang to your name. God says, yes, but did you believe the words you sang? Lord, I preach sermons. God says yes, but do you believe your own message? Do you really trust me? Because if you do, it's going to be reflected in how you work at your job. It's going to be reflected in how you behave on your business. It's going to be reflected in how you treat your wife. It's going to be reflected in how you treat your husband. If you really believe God, it's going to be reflected in how your children honor father and mother, that their days may be long upon the land, which the Lord their God has given unto them. Our great crisis, my brothers and sisters, is many of us have not experienced the third angel yet. We're not in this experience yet. You see, when you carefully look at the third angel's message, all it's trying to do is produce Christ likeness within you. That's all it's trying to do. The faith of Jesus The commandments, Jesus says, I have kept my father's commandments. And Jesus was faithful unto death. Literally, Jesus fulfilled every dynamic of the third angel. You understand that? Literally, it's it's just like, you know, we said that, faith of Jesus, right? And then commandment keepers. You see, the faith of Jesus, once we fully implicitly trust him, we will keep his commandments. Even if they say, if you keep the Sabbath, you lose your job and you have no way to know how to pay for your house. Because we have the faith of Jesus, because we trust God fully, amply, and entirely, we will say, you can take your job, but I'm going to honor God, I'm going to keep his commandments. You understand that? Once we have the faith of Jesus, it is so much easier to keep God's commandments, even in the midst of the greatest trials of life. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to teach us the final component, which is patience, which is endurance. The word patience literally means enduring. In the Greek, it means enduring. And so it is that when you look at it, this is what the Bible says, Matthew 10, 22, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's patient saints. So God is saying to each and every one of us, he's saying, listen, I want you to experience the third angel. Since 1844, God says, I've been trying to finish the mystery in you, in you. God says, I've been trying to finish the mystery. But if Christ is in me, that means the faith of Jesus is the faith of Dwayne Lennon now. You understand that? It's my faith. The faith of Jesus becomes mine. He imputes and imparts it unto me. And I will trust God like he did. And my brothers and sisters, you know the old saying when you're going on a long journey. Are we there yet? And a lot of us are not here yet. And God says, maybe that's why I didn't let your probation close yet. Because if we would have died like this, we'd be lost. What will God give us that will help us produce holiness? He gives us faith. Amen. What else does he give us? Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. What else does he give us? Say again. Suffering. Suffering. Go to Hebrews 12. We're about to wind it down. You see, in Hebrews 12, there's a very solemn statement. It's found in verse 14. Bring out some final points and I'll let you go. In Hebrews 12, notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 14. When you get there, just please say amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 14, it says, follow peace with how many men? Follow peace with all men. And what else? holiness, without which, how many men? No man shall see the Lord. We must reflect holiness. We must reflect holiness. And it's amazing because as I'm studying this morning and I'm meditating on the word and I'm saying, Father, I don't even know what to tell you, people. What do you want me to tell them? And God just starts putting it together. Um, I ask God, like, you know, what's one of the means that you use to produce holiness. Now, same book, same chapter. Let's go back to verse 5. This is right after the chapter on the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. Now in Hebrews 12, it would be good to study all the verses, but for time's sake, I'm just going to start at verse 5. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the what of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord. That's the disciplines of the Lord. The disciplinary actions. It says, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art what? Rebuked of him. Now watch this. In verse 6, it says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth how many sons? Every son whom he receives. So all of us, sooner or later, have to go through chastening. we got to go through some of those bitter experiences. There are going to be times that God is going to have to rebuke us. Let us know you're on the wrong path, and I need you to get on the right path. And he's going to use as his instrument something called chastening, disciplinary action. But watch this. Continuing now in verse 7, if you endure chastening, look at what God says. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? Oh, and watch verse 10. For they, are earthly fathers, they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But watch it. Watch the close. But he for our prophet. What's the prophet of God's chastening? It says, but he for our prophet that we might be partakers of his. Aha. Uh-huh. I think you just found out why sometimes you got some trials in your life. I think you just discovered why sometimes you're going to go through some disciplinary actions in your life. You know, there are times that we do wrong and God may discipline us. But there are times you may do right and God will allow trials upon us. There's no escape from trials. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Sooner or later... Whether it be God's punishing hand himself because of wrongdoing or even when we're doing right, God might remove his hand and allow Satan to do certain actions designed, if we endure it, you read that, designed for our good. You see, in the book Messages to Young People, page 117, the servant of the Lord says, the trials of life are God's workmen revealing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. You see, when everything's going great, brothers and sisters, we don't really know who we are. It's when things start getting messed up. And when things get messed up really bad and we go to God and we say, Lord, where are you? What's happening? Are you, even pay- are you playing games with me? There are Christians that talk like this to God. Do you really love me? Is your word true? You know, maybe those atheists were right. There are people like this all over the church. Not the world, the church. And God says, you see, God says that spirit Was always in you. But you needed a trial. For me to show you. You understand that? That spirit was always there. We doubted him. We didn't really trust him. We didn't really love him. All this worship we do. Every single Sabbath. And here it is. We're serving a God we don't even believe in or trust. And God says. I couldn't save you like that. And God says. So. I had to allow some trials in your life. Why? Because the trials of life are God's workmen. Revealing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. God says, you never would have known that character flaw of yours if I did not allow this trial. And so the Lord allows the trial to come. Our character quality is now in our face. Our flaws are in our face. And God says, you see that? I need to be the lamb of God and I need to take that sin away from you. Let me take that sin away. It is when we understand this, we can faithfully say, praise God for the ministry of trials. Are you following? Now we can say, Praise God for the ministry of trials, because the apostle Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith of which we stand. And then he makes it clear. He says, and the trials that come to us, he says, I thank God for these trials because tribulation works patience and patience, experience and experience Hope and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Praise God for the ministry of trials. It helps us understand when we endure our trials right, trusting in him. Lord, I don't know what's happening right now, but you said I love you. You see, I want to give you a few promises to close. Go to Psalms 37. You see, when we begin to believe these words, oh, my brothers and sisters, your life's going to change. Psalms 37. The Bible says in Psalms, the 37th division. Notice what the Bible says. Psalms 37. And watch what the text says as we consider verses 3 to 5. Psalms 37. And we're looking at verses 3 to 5. When you get there, please say amen. Amen. You see, the Bible says in Psalms 37, starting at verse 3, the Bible says, do what in the Lord? It says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. It goes on to say in verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall do what? He will give thee the desires of thine heart. But notice the prequal. You see, we can't get the desires of our hearts until we learn to fix our desires on the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord, and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because all your desires will be in harmony with his desires. You understand that? And if you want what God wants, God has no problem giving you what he wants. You understand that? That's the qualifier of the verse. Going on. It says in verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. God is not a man that he would lie to you. When your life is surrendered to him, when you learn, I can't trust myself. I still have confidence in my flesh. I'm still the one making some of the rules over my life. When we finally learn, I can't do that anymore. My life is not mine anymore. As Jesus walked on this earth, so shall I walk by his grace. And you trust God amply, fully, and entirely. God says, it's not only that I'll give you the desires of your heart. Look at what it says in Psalms 84. The Bible says in Psalms, the 84th division, verses 11 and 12. Psalms 84, verses 11 and 12. Once the heart is surrendered. We trust him fully. The heart is never surrendered to Christ when we still trust in ourselves, even a little bit. Have you gotten to that place that you are saying, I will put nothing on my body. I'll put nothing on my face. I'll put nothing in my body. I will not just live anywhere. I will not just do anything in the name of education, entertainment, recreation. When you and I get to that place where we can say, Lord, thy will and thy will alone. Only what you say is what I will do. That's it. When you get there, peace that passes all understanding. And so it is, it says in Psalms 84, 11 and 12, it says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory and finish the verse with me. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. How many good things? No good thing. Whatever you want, if it's a good thing, God will not withhold it from you. If it's really good, you know, sometimes we can say good and it's not good. Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, woe to them who call evil good and good evil. So there's a lot of confused people today. But when we really understand what's good, we can rest when we pursue the things in life, job, businesses, property, whatever. We can rest. See, Jesus rested in his father's love. We can rest and we can say, if it's good, even the host of hell cannot take it from me. If it's good, if it's good for me, even Satan can't take it away. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And therefore, what should be our attitude about a lot of the trials and stuff we go through in the day-to-day living? What should be our new attitude? Trust, but brothers and sisters, I give you our closing verse for our study, Philippians chapter 4. It is in Philippians chapter 4. Here's where God says, therefore, this is the attitude that I want you to have. Closing verse. This is God's counsel. Closing verse. In Philippians chapter 4, notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 6 and 7. What should be our attitude? Now that we understand these things, the Bible says in Philippians 4, starting at verse 6, be careful. The word careful means anxious. It says, be anxious for how many things? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, time is almost finished. Satan and his hosts is gathering his camp. They are doing everything possible to make sure that God's people are destroyed. And if ever we need the mystery of God, the great work in the most holy place to be finished in us, which is a reflection of that holy thing, Jesus himself, we need it now. And my brothers and sisters, the message God has given is the first, the second, and the third angel's message. But that message cannot just be understood. It must be received by experience, by practicality. And so God says, listen, saints, God says you can try to be patient all you want, but you will fail. You can try to keep my commandments all you want, but you will fail. If you do not first know what it is to have the faith of Jesus, you must receive Christ your righteousness. And he will develop you and he will impart unto you and he will build you that you can have faith like he had. And when we have the faith of Jesus, you will find that you can actually start keeping the commandments of God much better than what we're doing now. Our whole motive will change. We do it because we love him. We do it because he gave me power to do it. And when the trials of life shall come, we will be counted amongst the patient, enduring saints When everybody else will be giving up on the right hand and giving up on the left. You have no idea how many preachers that I have seen that are giving up on Jesus. They have found themselves so entrapped and enslaved by their sins and their indulgences. And they don't know how to get a victory over it because they don't know the faith of Jesus. And as a result of that, they get tired of losing. And after a while, it's easier to give up than keep fighting. I've seen it too many times. Powerful preachers. Who start going astray. My brother says you're going to see startling things. Remember we're told in volume five of the testimonies page 81. We are told many a star that we have admired for their brilliancy. Will go out in darkness. Do not fix your eyes on men. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author. And the finisher. Of your faith. I have a question for you. How many of us understood the study today? Did we understand it? Did we get it? Amen. My brothers and sisters, if you know, Lord, I don't trust you. I haven't trusted you amply, fully, and entirely. I have embraced my trials, and I've questioned you. I've questioned your presence. I've questioned your love. I've questioned maybe even your existence. If you knew you fell into that trap, maybe you're in that trap right now, and you're saying, preacher, please pray for me. I need help. We all need help. This is a wicked beast within our minds, brothers and sisters, where the serpent is still saying, "Hath God really said? My brothers and sisters, we got to learn how to shut his voice out. We got to learn how to saturate ourselves so much in the promises of God. And then stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. Watch him do what only he can do, and he will get all the credit for it. And we will love him and we will worship him and praise him for the remainder of our days. If you know you fell into this trap, but by the grace of God, you're a little bit more awakened now. And by his grace, you're going to be a lot more focused. That you will make sure the faith of Jesus is yours by his grace. Please stand with me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. And I'm very thankful for the message today. It's ministered to my own heart. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Our loving Father, we are so grateful. We thank you that we're living in the last moments, Lord. Time is truly almost finished. The race is almost over. And as my wife and I were coming up that mountain yesterday, and it was those moments where we just felt it was so long and so wearisome, And the thought would come in to just give up and just stay seated. You encouraged us to press on, keep going. And eventually we got to the top. Father, that was such a beautiful object lesson. It's reflective of the Christian race we're all in. We're all coming higher and higher on Jacob's ladder. And there are times where we sometimes want to just sit back and rest because it's just too hard. But Lord, I am praying that you will give us a fresh dose of courage today. That you will help us to understand that he that has begun a good work within us will be the one to perform it until the perfect day. Teach us to rest in you like Jesus rested in you. Help us, Lord, to trust you more. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But, Lord, we're also grateful that we learn holiness even through chastisement. Forgive us, Father, for the many times we've complained. Forgive us for the many times we insulted you and hurt you. Forgive us, Lord, for just not trusting you. I read this week in Faith and Works how there's no greater offense to you than we were when we profess to know you and love you, but we don't trust you. Please, Lord, help us all to learn how to trust you more, to love you, and experience truly the faith of God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.